What's going on, guys? I'm Chase Trophy Kids. We've got a great show for you, and we're definitely going to talk about some of the sporting news in the world. But it is a bit of a different episode. We're going to address kind of what's been going on in the nation as best we can. It's going to be an open dialogue. I hope you find this episode good. And as always, let's go. Trophy Kids presented by Bad News Media. It is June the 5th. We are back. We've taken a bit of a hiatus. Um, went on a little bit of a vacation. Also did some reformatting of the show. We are going to be bringing a little bit of a different feel to our shows, I think, going forward. Um, and that's going to start today. Um, as you heard in the intro, you know, we are generally a sports show. Um, we try to generally stick to sports and not touch kind of larger issues. Um, going on in society but that can no longer go is kind of our decision here at bad news media and with trophy kids there are times where sports and society intersect really well and they intersect really bad and but they always allow for a platform for people to speak on issues and to bring awareness in areas where there may not be awareness now the issues we are talking about are the current social, economic, and injustice that the black community is currently, or not even currently, has been facing long before I was born, long before my co-host Michael has been born. And we wanted to spend some time and just kind of talk about it. You know, we might not say, and I've been thinking about it a lot, we're gonna try to have a pretty open conversation here about it, things that people have been saying, our feelings on it. We don't claim to be experts in this, but we do think it's important to have open dialogues and to talk about it. And so before I get going, because there's a lot I've been kind of thinking about um, involving this situation, I wanted to throw it to my co-host, Michael, to just kind of give his thoughts. He's down in Richmond. I'm up here in Cincinnati, two cities that have had major issues in this Mm -hmm. arena. Um, Just because I I've got a lot that I'm eventually going to try to blow through here when I make my statements, but I wanted to give you an opportunity since I've already been talking for the most of it to to talk a little bit about kind of your perspective or or what you're seeing down there. Yeah. Like you said, I'm, I live in Richmond. So I live in, you know, what was the capital of the Confederacy. So it's, it's pretty big down here. Um, And, you know, coming, you know, being white and, you know, essentially privileged, you know, it, it, it's really opened my eyes to just how much these you know, African-Americans are struggling and how much and how they, they really do still get treated poorly compared to, you know, white people. Um, I will say, you know, if you are a white person and you want to help from, you know, what I've always heard is, you know, attend one of these protests. I've gone to quite a few of them. Um, which has, you know, mostly been peaceful. Um, you know, there have been some events where I've, you know, I've been, you know, just kind of, kind of scary events that have happened, but you know, it, it's, what's really cool about it is like when you're there, like it is like, it's a really powerful, like inspiring feeling, like all these people coming together for, you know, everyone to be treated fairly. I mean, in my opinion, it's, it's super powerful. It's inspiring. It's part of history. Um, so get involved and just do the right thing. You know, this, this is 2020 and this has been going on for centuries, not just, you know, the past four months. Um, and just like examples, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, 
those awful deaths that just could have been avoided. Um, it's, it's, it's just awful and it, things need to change. You know, I mean, I'm going to kind of let you take it from here, but it, changes need to happen. Change absolutely needs to happen. And change is always, we always hear change happen slowly. And there's a famous quote um, about how long is progress going to take on this issue? Because this is not an issue that has just started. And this is, I'm going to bring up two big examples and I'll kind of highlight it here with Drew Brees and James Owen's statement. There is a laundry list long, call it a CVS receipt long of companies, sports individuals, non-sports individuals who have gotten this issue completely wrong. And if this isn't, this isn't hard. There is right and wrong in this world. This has nothing to do with what political party you're a part of. It is simply right and wrong in the humanization of individuals and the dehumanization that we are seeing. Not like never before, because these are things that we saw with the civil rights movement and the dehumanization of people. We saw it from the beginning of this country. The foundation of this country was built by rich, white landowning men. They were the only ones who had the right to vote. And from there, the United States has not grappled with their history. And as I kind of previewed before, I am not an expert in this field, but I'm a human being who tries to grapple with these issues. You can't, if you're listening to this audially, you can't see me, but if you're watching this on YouTube or any of our social media platforms, it is very obvious I am very white. <laughs> I am about as white as you can get. And I am a male, and I was born in the United States. I essentially hit the jackpot yeah. from a privileged standpoint. I know that. And one of the things that I think a lot of people in our community, as far as the white community, they feel as if you have to like hate your whiteness or get over it. That is not what people are asking. They're asking to recognize the privilege you have, which we have tons of it in that area, and to be an ally to our brothers and sisters in the black community. And I'm rambling, I'm jumping all over the place here. But the point I was kind of getting to is this country was then built off free labor and the dehumanization of a human being in the black community. And since that moment, we've never truly grappled with that as a society, I think. And we are not responsible for what happened prior to us being on this earth, but we are responsible for what we do while we are here and the impact we make and the ally we are to a community that quite frankly has been on fire for way too long. And if we allow, if we stay silent, if we don't use our platforms, no matter how small or big they are, and our platform is pretty small, hopefully it'll be big someday, but it is small, then the issues that we face today will be around long after I'm dead and we cannot have that. There is no reason for what happened to George Floyd to be Floyd to still be happening. There is no reason that the situation we saw, which is horrifying in New York Central Park with a man bird watching and a white woman using his blackness as a weapon against him, saying she will call the cops. Emmett Till died 55 years ago, and we are seeing a very similar situation play out right in front of our eyes in the year 2020. It's unacceptable. So there's two points I wanted to really kind of hammer on here. And there's a larger conversation that's happened, but I, one of the things that struck me and kind of the point I'm getting to is James Dolan released a statement for MSG. And I, I really wanted to harp on this because I think it involves a bigger point. He sent an internal memo, and I'm going to read the full memo to give full context. 
We know that some of you have asked about whether our company is going to make a public statement about the killing of George Floyd by the Minneapolis police officer. I want you to know I realize the, important of this issue, the importance of this issue. Therefore, I want you to understand our internal position. This is a turbulent time in our country. The coronavirus and civil unrest have taken their toll on our way of life. We at Madison Square Garden stand by our values of, our, of a respectful and peaceful workplace. We, owe, we always will. As a company in the business of sports and entertainment, however, we are not any more qualified than anyone else to offer our opinion on social matters. What's important is how we operate. Our companies are committed to upholding our values, which include creating a respectful workplace for all, and that will never change. We, what we, we say to each other matters. How we treat each other matters, and that's what we will get us through this difficult times. This statement out made me outraged because it's something you hear primarily from white individuals. If you are a human being, you are qualified to speak on this issue. What happened to George Floyd was inhumane. It was a stripping of a humanity. I understand if you don't fully are in tune maybe to the criminal justice reform that's being asked for. Maybe you don't understand all those issues. But every single human being is qualified to comment on what they saw in that video and what we continue to see from a police force in this United States. And I have family members who are cops. My father was an FBI agent. I understand that there are good individuals in law enforcement. And the idea that this a few apples shouldn't ruin the bunch is kind of a bullshit statement, if we're being honest. Because if an apple farm kept turning out apples that killed people, we'd go into the apple farm and we'd figure out what the fuck's going on and why all these apples are coming out there that are killing people. It's not every apple. And there are some really good cops out there that sign up to do things for the right reason, and this is making it harder. But the institution is rotten, and they protect each other. There is no reason that a video should have to be released before we get action. There is no reason that it should be two months before two men who chased down a man in a pickup truck and killed him on the side of the road for being black, if we're being honest. It, shouldn't, it should be immediate, and it isn't. And for James Dolan, a man who's been on this planet longer than me to not understand these things and to not be able to have the courage to come out and speak up against the basic human right of, hey, you know what? These should not equal your death. Just because you were black, you should not fear the police. We shouldn't have a society that kills you or police kill you over crimes that, last time I checked, a counterfeit $20 bill is not even if it were, does not represent the death penalty. So I was frustrated by that. And I think it brings to a point that as we in the, we have a responsibility, especially in the white community to police our own. It is not the responsibility of the black community to fix white racism. It is our responsibility to be an ally to our brothers and sister in that community. It is a responsibility of us to police ourselves and do a better job of having these conversations. And that's also why Drew Brees' comments upset me because Drew Brees is a smart, intellectual man. He's a man who is out in the community. He is not an idiot. And he came out last night, and he has since clarified and apologized, but in a written statement, which to me doesn't strike as much, where when he asked, was asked about kneeling during the national anthem, he immediately went to 
it views as disrespecting the flag. I will never agree with somebody who kneels during the protest. And then he pulled out the service of his grandparents in World War II, which we know it's not about the flag. And it still pisses me off today. People just can't grasp it. That we can't grasp that issue. It's infuriating. And it's even more infuriating that he used the context of his grandfather's service, his grandparents' service in World War II. Guess what? Millions of African-Americans served in World War II. And they served in segregated units because the United States of America didn't believe they were the same as their white brothers and sisters who were fighting the same war. They went over to Europe and fought to save the world from fascism. And they came back to a country that didn't love them as much as they loved their country. And they were denied job opportunities, they were denied housing. The civil rights movement happened in the 60s. The military didn't come desegregated until two years after World War II. Two years. And we're still finding issues. Yes, we had the Civil Rights Act um, Amendment passed, or the Civil Rights Act. And we have made some progress. But there's still things like redlining. There's still huge gaps in economic ability. I mean, just look at coronavirus. It is disproportionately affecting the black community. It does not take much, and I'm tired of these people being ignorant of this issue. We live in 2020. Most of us have the greatest, biggest library in the world sitting in our pockets. It is not enough to not understand these issues anymore. You may not be fully versed in what needs to happen. You may not understand the some, there are some very complex things here at play. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is it is not enough to be silent anymore. It is not enough to not see a situation unfold like we are seeing now and not be able to just grasp the right and wrong of the nature and how wrong this has all been. I have a lot more points. I'm sorry if that was kind of all over the place and jumble jumble. I, I thought about writing a statement, but I wanted it to be true. And sometimes when we get on the recording, my mind kind of goes a blank. I wanted it to be more kind of in sync and in line. And it was kind of just an explosion or vomit of some of my thoughts. And I have so many more thoughts, but those were just, that's kind of my initial thing. And I think if you are somebody who doesn't know what to do, that's okay. I think part of the conversation shouldn't be in, Drew Brees got a tongue lashing, as he should. But we should also be accepting of some people just don't know yet, and they might, they want to know. I don't want insincere in this issue. So we have to have an an avenue for people to learn more that maybe don't know or are ignorant to the facts, even though I think it's ridiculous at his age and all these people's ages to still be ignorant of facts, but it happens. There has to be room for them to grow and to learn in conversations to happen. So if you want to do that, your suggestion of going down the protest and showing support is important. Yeah, the, the black square in your social media thing, it's not gonna solve the issue, but it shows solidarity cool. with the issue. Donating money to bailout funds and other activist groups is a great way to help the cause. Spending time, you know, so many people love to hide behind the fact that they have black friends or they like black culture, but at the end of the day, they don't, they don't show up to support it when it matters the most. So be there for your friends. Show up with them. Learn, ask questions if you don't know. It's okay not to know. Ask questions to learn. That's kind of where I'm at at this point. And, I mean, there's so many things you can do to help. You know, I understand you know, a, a protest, could maybe it can be a little intimidating. If you don't want to go, that's fine. Drive some friends there and drop yeah. them off and then come back and pick them up. You're, you are helping the cause just by doing that. Um, 
you said it pretty good. Um, it, it should not be black people's responsibility to convince us, convince white people to not be racist towards them. And part of the reason why racism still exists today, the systemic racism that exists today is because it's due to white people's refusals to speak up. So that's yeah. while, while, you know, we haven't really seen that in the past, I will say like, from what I've seen so far, it's, it's amazing to see like the, just the diversity of people that have shown up, the, the, the diversity of people that are supporting this. Um, there's still tons of work to do, but it's been, I, I, there's been some really bad things that have come from this, but it's been incredibly like amazing to see and, and, and witness in my opinion. Yeah. And, and that at the end of the day makes all the difference in the world because and there's this point that's been made. I'm not the first person to make it, but it really strung a chord with me. And it, it bounces off this idea that it is not up to the black community to solve white racism. It's just not. It's, I mean, they're obviously going to have a, a role in it, but we have to play a bigger role, especially as white males and just white people in general. But so many, and I, I hear it all the time. I see it all the time in our community, this idea people get offensive and defensive because like, Oh, I don't have weight privilege or that's not a thing. Or like, I'm not apologizing for my ancestors or whatever. Nobody is ever asking that, but the system was designed by old crusty ass white men to be completely honest. And it was designed. There are, it's not hard to find history is littered with examples. Even today, of a system that is built primarily by white people, and it was way before I was born, to oppress the black community and the minority community in general. And it is, you are, it's on you to use your privilege, to use your position right now in today's society, to right the wrongs of maybe not what your ancestors did, but what white ancestors did and to burn that system to the ground and to help and be an ally to our brothers and sisters in the black community who have had to deal with this shit far too long. And it takes a, and I think there's and too often people in Drew Brees is a good example, or maybe not Drew Brees, maybe James Dolan. If you truly do not feel like you are qualified, which I think is ridiculous, once again, if you're a human being, you are qualified to speak on this issue because it is a human rights issue, then you need to shut up and you need to learn and you need to listen and you need to do some thoughtful thinking by yourself. I can't tell you how many nights I have spent pretty much every time this comes up and even when this isn't an issue where a thought or an, an intellect or an, an interest comes up to think, am I doing my part? What more is going on? What are the answers? I don't have them all, but there's obvious things that are there. You, you pointed out uh, the Brian Taylor situation. If a cop doesn't have their body camera on, they should be fired right away. That should just be a rule, period. Yes. Like that is yes. simple shit. There's no reason for that. It is also simple. If a D, the government should be a lot more hands-on. If a DA is not prosecuting two men who got in their pickup trucks with guns and pulled over a citizen of the United States and murdered him in cold blood because as they say, he 
he looked like somebody who was robbing in the area, which we all know is just, he was black and fit a description. They murdered him in cold blood, and they were walking free until the video got leaked or released to the press, and then there's outrage. That is insanity. How is that a thing? That is just, that is not recognizing somebody else as a human being, a life that was taken from this earth wrongly, and it should not take public outcry for that to be prosecuted. It should not take public outcry to prosecute or to fire and then bring charges against an officer who had his knee on a man's neck in George Floyd. That is not practice technique. There is no law enforcement agency that's saying that is what you should do to subvert a subject. You are equipped with tons of de-escalation methods. You have four other cops with you. You have pepper spray. You have, if it were to even, and I'm not saying that it rose to that occasion, but just the tools at your disposal. And then once you have apprehended him, there is no reason to be sitting on his neck. It is bullshit that he was still a cop after that happened. And it should not take public outcry. And so much of that is we should not have to police the police, but we do. And that is a big, big problem. And that is not hard to understand. Open your eyes and you can see it in the world. Nailed it. Yeah. And I, and this is obviously something like, and I'm trying to reiterate this, you know, if, if we say something wrong or we're not on point, I want to hear about it. And I want to learn about it. And, and I do want to be better about this. And this is a bit of a ramble. It may not have been the most delicate said, but that is how I feel at this time. I'm going to continue to try to grow here at Bad News Media and at you know, Trophy Kids. We are going to try. I feel like it's important to stand for something. And too often, especially in sports and in business, we see brands and companies avoid issues like this because they're afraid of losing followers or listeners. And to be honest, I am guilty of that. I am the starter of this company. I started this podcast. It falls on my shoulders as to how we produce this and how we we represent ourselves and I have shied away from some of these things and that is wrong and it cannot happen going forward. So going forward, as a promise to our listeners, hopefully the more listeners we grow, we will not be afraid to have these conversations. Um, but it is a sports show and we are going to talk about some sports because there is some news and there's no good transition from this, but we do want to be a part of the solution and not part of the problem. So just know going forward, we are going to use our platform, no, how, no matter how small or large it is, to bring attention to issues when they come up that we feel are important to discuss. And this is going to be an ongoing conversation, but that is part of the new look, Bad News Media and Trophy Kids. With that being said, and there is no good transition from this, but we do have sports back. The NBA, the governors, have voted on a 22-team Eight-game regular season, then into the playoff format down in Orlando at the ESPN complex, sports complex down there. I've got to say, this is one interesting proposal that they have voted on and passed. Yeah. I. No offense to your Wizards. I don't know why we're doing 22 teams. <laughs> like, <laughs> Or the Suns, for that matter. Like, I don't know why we just didn't cut it off at 20, but because um, you'd think we're in the middle of a pandemic, you want to keep it less people. That's just more organizations, more players down there. No offense to them, but, like, they weren't – they weren't really had a great chance to make the playoffs if the season hadn't been interrupted. Oh. 
But hey, this is where we're at. <laughs> They're going to get the play. Yeah, I know. That cracked me up because I know there was a debate between 20 and 22. And I'm like, oh, 22, the Wiz could get in. And then I didn't actually think that would I, – I thought they would do the 20. But turns out 22 teams, we're going to see Bradley Beal chuck up 35 shots a game. Um, I've actually missed watching that because he's been playing out of his mind on a terrible Wizards team. Um, but moving on from the Wizards, who cares about them? I mean, I'm, I'm excited about it. It's weird. Um, I'm glad they, I'm glad they also squeezed Zion in. I know they, yep. they did that on purpose. hundred <laughs> percent. <laughs> uh, they just squeezed Zion in. Um, so that's, that's exciting. I get to see him play more. It, it's going to be weird though. I think that the, the champion in my mind, they're always going to have a little bit of an asterisk or however you say that word next to them. And that goes kind of even like for all sports that are having this, you know, different type of season, yeah. but we'll take it. I mean, I'm excited. Dude, I kind of – I'm weirdly excited for it because – and there's a couple things to talk about here. It's like the most neutral of a way you can decide, yeah. like, who's the best because they're going to play eight regular season games left. But everybody's had a chance to get healthy. Everybody's had a chance to kind of be ready to go and rejuvenated you're going to have none of the real kind of outside noise, the crowd and all that stuff. It's the most like neutral way to determine who truly is the best. You're not going to have all this travel. Like one team's got to travel back and forth in the country. and It just drains them physically and mentally. You're not going to have any of that. There is sort of that. They're going to have to figure out what they're going to do. If I didn't see if they're going to allow families there or how they're going to handle that situation. Cause I do think if, if you have the players isolated that long mentally, it, it might be a challenge. Um, but it's kind of the most, it's like getting back to kind of the AAU circuit. It's sort of like the most perfect way to sort of figure out who really is the best when it's, when all things are the same, who can get through that and who can manage it the best and just be the best basketball team, which doesn't always come down to who's the best skill wise, who can have better endurance, who has better skill, who plays better as a team, better coaching, who manages this all. I'm pretty excited for that. It's a weird concept. It's exciting, it's I think. weird. It, it kind of reminds me, like, kind of from the last dance when we would see those super competitive games that just the players were having. Yeah. I, I think what we're going to see more from these players is, like, from some of them at least, is just how much they, like, fucking love basketball. Um, 100%. You know, like, it'll just, it'll just be interesting to see all their reactions, but out of fan reaction. I'll miss the fans, but I think it's going to be kind of it, – it's going to be kind of cool in a weird way. Like, they're just going to be able to focus more and uh, – they're professionals. They focus to begin with, but I just think they're going to be more locked in in general. Yep. I, it'll be, it'll be cool. I agree. It's going to be super weird without the fans. I think that's going to be a big adjustment from a fan perspective is us getting used to sports without many fans. Cause I know they're planning to try to do it for football and have like some capacity. Um, it is going to be super weird. And that definitely plays a huge role in sports and the momentum of a game and all that, but it's going to be cool. I, <laughs> I don't really like what they're doing to try to give the higher seed like a competitive advantage as far as like the timeouts or the coaches challenge. I don't mind the like get in the better hotel. I think it's kind of stupid to import your floor, but fine, do it. I mean, there's kind of that theory of like, you know, where maybe the dead spot is or like kind of the flow of your floor a little bit better. Um, I just want to roll the ball out and play and have them play and see what happens, but you hit it perfectly. You are really going to figure out who loves the game because there's also the aspect of it. You're going to see who loved the game because of the guys who were just getting in the gym to get in the gym during this off time. 
like who were just going to play ball and didn't kind of take this as a break and stayed in shape stayed in good basketball form and were just playing the game because they do truly love it and they love getting better at it as opposed to the guys who maybe aren't in it as much for the pure love of the game. Yeah, exactly. And one thing that is going to be really weird is like the eight teams that don't make it, they're going nine months without basketball. (laughs) That's, it's almost, I mean, it is what it is, but that's kind of unfair. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's, that's a, a good ball. I mean, that's like that's like basically now minus the recovery part, but that's basically like everyone on the teams tore their ACL or out for nine months. Now it's not the same because they can still practice and play basketball because they're not they didn't actually tear their ACLs. But it's crazy that eight teams because as far as I know, training camp doesn't start till now December first. Yeah, I believe that's correct. So I mean, they were out. The NBA stopped mid to early March. I mean, yeah. <laughs> That's a long time for those players to not play competitive basketball. That's crazy. That's a really good point. They'll probably do some, like, summer league. Well, not like a summer league. I hope. I hope they do something for them because, like, I don't know. That's just – that's a long time. It's going to be interesting. I'm super excited for it. Um, The other sports we'll see. I just – before we we started recording this, I was on my phone. I saw on Twitter something about, like, five Alabama players have already tested positive for COVID. I don't know if that's true or not. It was – came from, like, 24-7 sports or whatever. I don't know how football is going to do, um, which brings me back to one other point that I forgot to bring up when we were talking earlier in the podcast. One thing that needs to happen that is ridiculous that hasn't happened. I'm sorry for switching gears, but I completely forgot to make this point earlier, and I just realized it with college football. What we have seen in the lack of support and statements from college football coaches who have made generational wealth off the back of predominantly young black men is atrocious. These men walk into the homes of these players during their recruiting time, and they look every single one of those players' parents in the eyes and tells them, I am going to treat your kid as mine. They become mine when they come here, and they have not stepped up. Dabo hasn't stepped up. Nick Saban hasn't stepped up from what I can see. I don't know. Maybe he's made a statement. I missed it. But I have not seen them marching with their players. I mean, Florida State's currently, I believe, holding out of workouts right now because of how it's being handled down there. It is ridiculous the lack of support we have seen come from college football coaches and the atrocity that you've seen in the NFL with Vic Vangio saying he doesn't see any racism within the NFL, which is insane given just – yeah, just a couple weeks ago, they were debating how to improve the Rooney rules because it's not really working. I mean, get the fuck out of here, Vic Vangio. What are you, what are you looking at? Um, I forgot to make that point earlier, but that yeah. struck me as upsetting to see all these coaches who have made generational wealth off, if we're being honest, the NCAA, NCAA is indentured servitude. That is what it is. They give them quarters, food, and clothing. And for some, they, they do get an education. But for a lot, they get the very bare minimum to get them through the door and to play on Sundays or if it's basketball, whenever they're playing. Um, so that was disheartening to see. And it, it, it should really call into question, we hold college coaches up as these high-character guys, these leaders. We really need to do a better job of starting to question that and p- 
pick that apart because it is it's ridiculous that they haven't come out in stronger numbers some of them have some of them have done a phenomenal job but some of them have completely missed the mark um now switching back sorry this is all over the place um baseball can we talk about that for a second can we talk about how baseball may have just nailed they are nailing the final nails into the coffin of baseball like do we think they survive if they're not back when the NBA is back? The NHL has got a plan to try to come back. The NFL is, as far as I've seen, is scheduled to resume right on time. Like, if those sports are playing and baseball still hasn't gotten going, who's going to care about baseball? Like, I know there are people that are going to care about baseball. It was already dying. But, like, they're going to they're gonna get surpassed as one of the four major sports. This is kind of ridiculous, is it not? Yeah, it's pretty bad for baseball because, let's be honest, they used to be considered, you know, America's game or whatever, and we're probably probably the most popular sport in, in the entire country. I'd say right now they're probably third, but that's, that, that's you know, third going down. Like, yes, <laughs> not, not good. Yeah, yeah a decline, <laughs> um, and, and just they're going to probably continue to decline. Um, I, I think there's probably still a pretty large gap between the NHL and the MLB, but – I mean, as funny as this may sound, the MLS actually is making strides. Um, yep. There, I mean, there. I mean, you go like to Atlanta or Seattle. I mean, LA, hell, Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah. yeah. MLS is it's big. Yeah. Um, so, so all these other sports, they're looking, and I mean, they're probably pretty happy to be honest. I was gonna say, yeah. I, my first thought when this has all been going down is, if they're not camp careful, the UFC or the MLS will take them as the fourth major sport in this country. Um, I think it's, I mean, let's be honest out of all the ownership groups, the MLB is probably the dumbest. Um, the NBA is up there as the finest The NFL skates by because we're addicted to football in this country and the NHL is doing a good job for as far as I can tell. Um, it was also struck me that normally you don't see the public take the player side as much in these negotiations and i feel like collectively we pretty much all told the owners to go fuck themselves they were like hey the mlb the players were like you know we signed contracts you should honor our contracts but we understand these are extraordinary circumstances so we're willing to take half of what we normally would have got like prorate us and then they came back and all of a sudden rich billionaires now believe in a progressive tax, but when it comes to their players um, and they wanted to lower their salaries by a certain amount, depending on how much they made weird concept. Wonder I've heard that before. Um, and, and they were like, no, fuck off. Like you're still, yeah, you're not going to make ticket sales, but you're still going to make TV revenue. You're still going to make merchandising revenue. That's the biggest mark they missed because the MLB is a global game. You're telling me right now with no sports on, if you had been back, you wouldn't have been making money from TV deals across the world. Like you would have been bringing in income. The amount you could have charged advertisers would have been phenomenal. Like, what are we, what are we doing here? People. Um, They could have come back and I mean, I watch very little baseball. You know, I kind of jumped on the Nats bandwagon a little bit because I love DC, but there. I, I wasn't planning on watching a lot of baseball this year, but had they come back and it was just them, you bet your ass I'd be watching about every game they showed. Hell yeah. And if they made it a shorter season, like the idea yeah. of like cutting the season in half, I don't think 50 games is probably enough. I'd probably cut it to like 80. Yeah, but, but like 
That would be – yeah, because you have teams that jump out of the gate real early, real good. And they Orioles just, might – I mean, you have 50 games. Yeah. Matt, Matt Scherzer starting 10. I mean, that's – you know. Yeah, I was going to say, the Nationals were one of the worst teams to start the season. So, like, right. you can't have it be super short. But like, cut it in half to 80 games. Those games would be intense as fuck. Like, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I've heard um, – it doesn't really help me get into baseball, but someone said this to me and it actually makes a lot of sense. They're like, you're going to lose 50. You're going to win 50. So really it's just a 62 game season. That's yep. kind of the way I like, that's kind of an interesting way of looking at it. It's actually a great way to look at it. I mean, I, very, I, I pay attention to opening day and I pay attention a little bit to the early part of the season. Like I know generally where the Red Sox are at and like, who's kind of doing good, who's kind of doing bad, but I'm not really following it until after the all-star game. Cause I've seen teams completely turn around the all-star game and teams completely fold and the first part of the season never seems to mean anything. So like, it just, yeah, I've never cared about it much. Um, all right. We're getting pretty far into this. We're going to wrap it up with one last thing. I feel like since there's not a ton of sports out there, we should really dive into picking apart other journalists top tens or top whatevers because there's some funny ones out there and it's a dog eat world pete prisco who i normally like and i think he's generally pretty good on the mark he put out a top 100s list the wide receivers he had in the top 50 and in the order he had them in i mean pete prisco put down the crack pipe what are we doing here he had michael thomas as the fourth best player i think in the NFL, he had Julio at 14, so number two wide receiver. And then he had Chris Godwin, who don't get me wrong, love him. I'm a Bucks fan, as the third best wide receiver in the league, followed by DeAndre Hopkins at 31 best player in the league right now. Then Tyreek Hill at 43. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin's teammate, at 45. And Devontae Adams at 48. So just to recap the wide receivers in order of how he thinks they rank. Michael Thomas, one, Julio Jones, two, Chris Godwin, three, DeAndre Hopkins, four, Tyreek Hill, five, Mike Evans, six, Deontay Adams, seven. I mean. <laughs> Crazy. Um, the disrespect that DeAndre Hopkins continues to walk around with is just absurd. I Insane mean, in the membrane. He's had one quarterback throwing the ball. He's had one quarterback. <laughs> Entire NFL career, really a quarterback throwing the ball. I, it's unbelievable. Um, Chris Godwin's a good player, fine player, young player. He may be the second best wide receiver in the NFL at some point, but I'm not ready to crown him after one season. No. I, I need to see multiple years of production like Hopkins has done, Julio Jones has done. I mean, come on. <laughs> Mike Evans is the number one wide receiver on that team. I'm a Bucs right. fan. I'm going to tell you right now, Chris Godwin, if you hear this or you come across this, I love you so much i think you're a phenomenal player i am so excited to have me on, on your team but you are not better than mike evans let's be real about that you are not better than DeAndre Hopkins. yeah you are not better than tyree kill i love you you're definitely better than Devontae adams i think but you're not better yeah, than those guys on the list but what are we doing here pete i mean deandre and still the disrespect i don't even really like number michael thomas at the fourth best player in the league in the first best wide receiver i know the dude runs like six slants for 200 yards but like come on like i don't know if i I don't hate it, but I also I don't like, hate it either. I don't hate it, but I'm also sitting here thinking like shit. If you put DeAndre Hopkins on the Saints, what would his numbers fucking look like? Like, could you imagine? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a not too far limb here and say that it's gonna be better than Michael Thomas. No offense to Michael Thomas, you're a phenomenal player, one of the best wide receivers in the league. But I don't think you're better than DeAndre Hopkins. I don't even you're not better than a 
a healthy Julio Jones, I don't think. But maybe, eh, maybe. That's. I mean, at this point, yeah. it's maybe. I mean, I yeah. don't know. But Julio Jones, you know. I was going back. I was Thomas like, probably is too, but Hall of Famer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. And I'm and I was yeah. thinking, well, maybe actually at this point in his career, healthy Julio Jones. I mean, it's close. You you yeah. can make you make an argument for me either way there, but. I mean, I just think about it like if I put him on the Saints, what's the production looking like? How much of a dominant player is he going to be? I don't know. <laughs> um, that's all I really got today. You got anything else to kind of wrap this up? Uh, no, just Black Lives Matter. Correct. Black Lives Matter. If you say all lives matter, as Seth Rogen's been saying, fuck you. You just like, I don't know how hard in the head you are. Pick up a book, learn it. The greatest analogy I ever heard, there's a Macklemore song. And at the end of it, there's a guy speaking. And this puts it in perfect context for all you people who still do not understand it. If you had a neighborhood in the quarter sack and a house is on fire, the fire department does not show up and pour water on every house in the quarter sack because all houses matter. No, they pour water on the house that is burning and needs it the most. That is exactly the point of Black Lives Matter. There's a community legitimately on fire and they have been for way too long. Get with it. Pick up, if you have one of these, you have, like I said, the biggest library the world has ever seen in your pocket. Open your horizons, open your eyes, open your ears. If you don't feel like you know enough, shut up and listen. If you think you know too much, shut up and listen because you definitely don't. I know for sure I don't. There's still stuff I need to learn, still stuff that I need to do. Go out and support. If you're looking ways to support, it doesn't take hard to find them. Go down to protest if you feel comfortable with it. If you don't feel comfortable with it, go with Michael's idea of driving friends down there. You can donate time to other organizations, activist groups. You can donate money to bailout funds and other activist groups. There are ways to do it. And most importantly, register to vote. And then once you vote, do not give up. You have to, as Killer Mike said, bully them at the uh, polls. And then you need to follow up. If your representative isn't staying to their promises or they're not doing a good enough job, call their asses. If you haven't noticed, they rely on your support. Otherwise they are out of a job. So, you know, simple things here. Um, that's all I got. Hopefully the message is received. If not, we're always looking for suggestions. Um, and we will be back next week as always. Peace.